As we deal with these um, emotions, particularly the one today uh, that we've been uh, talking about over the last six weeks, this is a six week in it, uh, we need to remember that, that God is faithful no matter what all the emotions are and what causes us to respond with the different emotions that we do. You know, we've been talking about using the emoticons that show uh, our different expressions and sometimes we use them on our social media when we text and email and those kinds of things. Um, and so, uh, in the next two weeks, we'll be looking at the last two. We'll be talking about greed and then we'll be talking about contentment, moving to where we really need to be able to say, I've learned to be content. Now, so far in the past, we've looked at these emotions, worry and temptation and anger and bitterness and resentment. And today, uh, we're going to look at one that probably all of us have experienced at some time, and that is discouragement. And it's simply entitled, When I Am Discouraged. And so, I raise a question for you, and that's this. Should it ever be that believers in Christ, Christians, followers after Christ, ever become discouraged? Is it okay to have some dark moments and some down times? Uh, is it okay to have some times of doubt, um, despair, and maybe even be plagued by depression? Well, uh, we've listened to our shallow Christian on video, so let's see what he's got to say about this one. When we try to pursue happiness, we rarely find it. But when we pursue God, happiness comes to us. That's why true happiness is only experienced by Christians. In fact, if you want to find out if someone is a Christian, just watch them and see if they are ever unhappy. If they are, they're not a Christian. Because Christians are always happy, all the time. Real Christians never have times of sadness or anger or doubt. There is just no room for these other feelings with all of the happiness in our hearts. So if you have any Christian friends that are struggling with depression or sad about the passing of a close relative or just don't smile enough, let them know that they need to repent and get right with God so they can be happy just like you. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. Oh, if you guess with us when you haven't been following along, I hope you understand. That guy is tongue-in-cheek. Uh, that's just uh, uh, his way of saying that, you know, taking, making, just, making light of a serious issue. So, yeah, that's okay. I mean, that's logical. We're human beings. We live in a fallen world. It's an imperfect world. There's still sin. Things aren't going to go perfectly the way we want to. We're only human, and we're going to respond to the events and circumstances around us. So, uh, yeah, it's okay for believers to experience times of down. Now, what I want us to do today is look at a great biblical character, Elijah, who experienced that. He went from the mountaintop of great uh, spiritual experience and victory to where he was discouraged in a very short period of time. Uh, In 1 Kings 18, we find his great battle and his moment of victory. And in 1 Kings 19, we're going to look and see what caused him uh, to be discouraged. So, look with me in 1 Kings 19. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. 
He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Saphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, you might be very familiar with that story, or it might be something totally new to you. But I think it shows us how a, a devout person of God can go through some bouts of despair and darkness and gloom that we would call uh, discouragement. And so, first of all, let's look at that story and we see the reality of discouragement. We don't have to look very far. Uh, and we're going to find that I'm going to use two words, maybe interchangeably throughout the message. One is discouragement and the other is depression. Are they the same thing? Well, let me give you my understanding of that. When we look at the word discourage, we see that the root word is courage. And that word means heart. It comes from the word heart. And when you encourage somebody then, that means you encourage their heart. You, have, you help them to have courage. And you know, you help them to have passion about life and you encourage their heart. So therefore then to discourage somebody means that you put the heart out. You discourage them. You take heart out of their life. And so if you're going through a time of discouragement then, you know what that's like. The heart passion and love of life and ministry perhaps has been diminished. You cannot find fulfillment in anything. 
You're just going through a time of, of blues. And, and all of us, I think, have experienced that at some point in time. Nothing seems to be going right. You know, it's just kind of a downtime for us. What a bummer of a time, okay? You know, we've been kicked and, and kicked to the curb, and, and life is just not exactly pleasant during this time. Now, what about depression? Well, depression has been called the common cold of our emotions, which I think that means is pretty, pretty obvious, pretty prevalent in our lifestyle. So, what's the difference between depression and discouragement? I think it's a vast difference because it's far different to have just simply a case of the blues and be down a little bit and to suffer from clinical depression. So, if you suffer from clinical depression, you know that that's one of the four mood disorders that we are subject to experiencing. And it's a, it's a medical disability. It's not a spiritual issue. You can't pray yourself out of it. You know, you can't read enough Bible to get out of it. It's a simple pro- problem in your life that your body does not produce the necessary chemicals to maintain your emotional ab- balance in life. You see, it's nothing different than diabetes. In diabetes, the body does not produce what's necessary to regulate uh, the sugar level in one's life. And so, going on medicine for uh, being depressed is no more of a stigma than it is going on insulin to treat your diabetes. But somehow, there seems to be a little bit of a stigma about uh, our mental health, and especially if somebody has depression. And so the answer to that is that the reality of of life is that we're going to have believers who will experience some depression. Go to your doctor. Main thing is you need to get on medicine. Stay on the medicine. That's the only way that you're going to overcome it. You can't pray yourself through it, read Bible study enough, praise God enough, because it is a physical condition. Now, uh, and if you do suffer from that, don't feel alone. Don't feel any kind of stigma because some of the world's and church's greatest leaders have been plagued by depression. Winston Churchill confessed that he was often hounded by that black dog of despair. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers from another generation, uh, fought constant battles uh, with depression in his life. You can add to that list Martin Luther, Sohan Kierkegaard, and J.B. Phillips. There's a current Christian writer by the name of Elizabeth Sherrill. And she's got a wonderful family. She has a wonderful writing ministry. But she struggled with bouts of depression. She calls it a nameless, bottomless sadness. And she says depression can throw its gray pall about us when the sun is brightest. So on a day like today, a lot of people can get down. I think that's that sad, seasonal disorder, whatever that SAD stands for. You know, and, and wintertime, a lot of times people get down because of that. But, but depression is a chemical imbalance. And so I think the two are vastly different. The issue would be, is Elijah going through a time of depression? Or is Elijah going through a time of discouragement? I would say it's a time of discouragement because life hasn't gone his way. Ministry isn't productive at that particular point. He's had a bad point. He's come from a high to a low. I don't think that it's a clinical depression because I don't think he's exhibiting the signs of clinical depression. And to bring him out of his despair uh, and despondency, God doesn't have to create a miracle in his life. He just does some, some natural things to help us when we are discouraged. So that's my take on it. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, not a psychologist, not a, a counselor, but I'm a pastor. Maybe he can explain it to you in the words of a pastor, okay? 
This is back in the years gone past when uh, pastors used to go and visit with other pastors and they would preach week-long revivals. I've done it many times in my life. And usually they feed you before you go and preach. Worst thing you can do, okay, to, you know, to eat and then go and preach or sing, either one. All right, so this one pastor could not stand fried chicken. I don't understand that, but he couldn't understand. He, he didn't like fried chicken. And guess what he had for supper every night for five days? Fried chicken. The last night, they put before him a great big platter of crispy fried chicken. And to make matters worse, they asked him to have the blessing. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, I've had it hot. I've had it cold. I've had it young and I've had it old. I've had it tender and I've had it tough. But thank you, Lord, I've had enough. I think that's what we say when we become discouraged in life. Did you catch that in the scripture in, in verse 4 of our reading? That's exactly what Elijah said. He said, Lord, I've had enough. Things just hadn't been going right for him. It just wasn't a great experience. And he said, I've had enough. Maybe that's where you are today. You've had enough of this stuff. You've had enough and you're discouraged. So that's the reality of it. Now, what were the reasons for discouragement? Well, let's look at Elijah's life. And we're going to compare chapter 18 with 19, okay? Elijah was a champion of what we would call orthodoxy for the faith. He, he was chosen by God to challenge the king and the false prophets of Baal uh, and to bring back the nation of Israel from their apostasy back to uh, a true relationship with God. And we see on uh, Mount Carmel in uh, in, in chapter 18, how that came about through a miraculous display of God's power. But when we look at chapter 19, things have, have differed. Chapter 18, he's on the top of the world, a great mountaintop experience. Chapter 19, things have changed. He's a man on the run. And we have to look at that. See, 1 Kings 18 describes an incredible event. He challenges uh, the leaders of Baal, the worshipers of God, of, of Baal, uh, to this challenge. He said, let's, let's have a contest Let's make an altar. He says, I'll give you 12 hours. You call on Baal to come down and consume that offering on the altar. And so they commenced to do that. And for 12 hours they went around. They prayed, they shouted, and, and all the time Elijah was egging them on. You might need to shout a little bit louder. He could be asleep. Maybe he's deaf. He's hard of hearing. But maybe he's going away on a vacation. Living Bible says, indicates that he's going to relieve himself, Elijah says. You know? and, and then they began to cut themselves and scream and shout, and still nothing happened. So then what did Elijah do? He took over. He rebuilt the altar, the Scripture says. He had them to dig a trench around the altar. And then he had them to pour 12 barrels of water on that altar, thoroughly soaking it. And the trench was filled with that water. Then he prayed to God. And he asked God to come down and show them that he was God and consume that offering on the altar. And that's exactly what God did. And Scripture even indicates that he even licked up the water that was in the trench around the altar. And what was the result of the people? Oh, they were happy. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they supposedly joined with Elijah in serving the true God. And then all of a sudden, Boom, just like that, as it can happen in life. You go from a mountaintop experience to a low. 
Jezebel sends word to Elijah and says, you've killed all of my prophets. And by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you also. And the bottom just dropped out of his life. He fell into a dark moment of despair. He ran. And he ran all the way to Beersheba, the southernmost city in Judah. He left his servant there. He went another day's journey into the wilderness. You know, he simply wanted to get away from it. Psychologists call it withdrawing. And sometimes when we go through moments of despair and particularly in depression, we withdraw. And we get out of the main flow of life. And when Elijah finally quit running and he sat down under that juniper tree and he asked God to let him die, he said, I've had it, Lord. Take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. What he was simply saying is, I haven't been any more successful in keeping your people in an orthodox faith than what my ancestors did. And he was just ready to give it up. And then out of sheer exhaustion, he slept. And God did something, ministered to him. He let him sleep. Then he gave him bread and water. Let him sleep another day. Gave him bread and water. And in that strength, he got up and he went another 40 days and 40 nights, about 150 miles as far south as he could go. Sometimes in moments of despair and disappointment and frustration and discouragement, the most spiritual thing you can do is get enough to eat, to get enough sleep and rest for your body and for your soul to catch up then with your body. Then he went to a cave, wrapped himself in a cloak. And God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he poured out his heart. I've been very jealous for you, God. And now it looks like I'm the only one. And they seek my life. He's singing the blues. Just like we all do at different times. It doesn't matter uh, what your age, what your walk in life, you know, what your vocation. Anybody is susceptible to times of blues and disappointment and discouragement. You know, the business deal didn't get to go through. You didn't get accepted into the school you wanted to go to. You didn't make the team. You know, you didn't get that promotion or close that big deal at work. And the story just goes on and on and on. And then there comes a series of these things. And it all just piles up on us to where we find that we are greatly discouraged. What happened to Elijah that caused that? Well, there are four things that come out from his story. First of all, he was afraid. There's fear. Jezebel said, you destroyed my prophets of Baal. I'm going to take your life. A threat on his life. He took it seriously as he should have. And he ran because he was afraid. Many times like Elijah, we become afraid. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of loneliness. We're afraid of, of not being good enough. We're afraid of not making it in life. You know, all of those things we're afraid of. Secondly, uh, he was, uh, there was failure. He had a negative opinion about himself. You know, he, he, he didn't think he was successful. I mean, he had just had a tremendous victory on top of Mount Carmel. And had the assurance of God's blessings when he prayed for God to do something. But at this point, he's saying, you know, I'm no good. I'm incompetent. God made a mistake when he made me. Have you ever done that? You know, a couple of bad things happen and you lose focus on God and you're like, you know, my life is nothing. I live in the pits all the time. I'm kicked to the curb. That's where I belong. Let me share with you some words that some people who were very successful in life had to say. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, wrote this in his diary. He said, my life has been spent in vain and idle aspirations and in ceaseless rejected prayers that something would be the result of my existence beneficial to my species. There's a man who was president of the United States and felt like he contributed nothing. 
Robert Louis Stevenson, many of us, I'm sure, have read some of his works. And this is what he wrote, though, for his epitaph, a prolific writer. He said, Here lies one who meant well, who tried a little, and failed much. You know, if those people who were successful and others can feel like they were a failure, you and I can too. The third thing we see in Elijah's life is fatigue. He was emotionally drained. He was physically exhausted. And oftentimes, mountaintop experiences can leave us that way. What he needed was rest and renewal for his body. we got some runners, I know, in the life of our church. And you know that runners have to get, uh, sometimes you get in that place where you get a runner's high and you can keep running. Then there are times when you as a runner, you know that you, you hit the wall. And what that means is, is that you, uh, your carbohydrates and, and the hydration have been diminished. And your body feels like it needs to give up and you have to keep on going if you want to run the race. A long distance runner by the name of Dick Beardsley talked about it this way. He said, I felt like an elephant had jumped out of a tree onto my shoulders and was making me carry it the rest of the way. You see, sometimes it's fatigue that causes us to get down in the blues. And then the fourth thing for Elijah was futility. Elijah said, I am the only one left, and now they're out to get me. He feels alone. He feels helpless. He's got negative expectations about the future. Elijah is paranoid. He thinks everybody's out to get him. I can't remember where I read it, whether it was a bumper sticker in somebody's notes about this passage or whether it was on a t-shirt or something, but it said this, just because you aren't paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. Remember that. See, Elijah was all of this after that great victory. Now, maybe you are like Elijah today. And you want to hear some good news. And all I've talked about is discouragement and how you got there. Well, here's some good news coming because God brought him out of that. See, if you're alone, if you're exhausted, if you're burned out and you feel hopeless, here's hope for you. Listen to God's prescription. This is not the cure for clinical depression. Please understand that. Stay on your medicine. But if you just got a case of the blues, being despondent, and things haven't gone well, then listen to what happens here. Here are four things that took place that helped Elijah for the resolution of his discouragement. First of all, uh, take time off. First thing that helped Elijah was to get some sleep and get some food. Before he could be rejuvenated spiritually, he had to come back physically and be rejuvenated. And God provided that for him. He provided rest, he provided food, he provided relaxation. Uh, all to give his body back what he needed. Uh, he needed that. So he had to take some time off to do that. And where he was, God worked with him. There's an interesting book entitled The 24-Hour Society by a man named Dr. Martin Moore. And he describes our society this way, a society that never rests, never sleeps, never quits, and never stops. And he says, that's us. And the problem with that is that we have made a world into which we cannot survive. Now, you think about your own life and the pace that you live. See, we can't go without rest. We can't go without sleep. We can't go without food. 
And yet that's what we're called, we're trying to do in the society that we have created. So you need to get your rest. Take some time off. Secondly, you need to learn to express your emotions. Now, Elijah began to talk through his frustrations. When he sat in the cave feeling sorry for himself, God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Have you noticed in Scripture that God many times asks questions that he already knows the answer to? He asked Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. He asked Cain, where's your brother Abel? He knew what happened to Abel. Cain already killed him. He asked Moses, what's that in your hand? He knew what it was. Moses had a staff in his hand. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? God knew what Elijah was doing and what had helped get him there. So why did he ask Elijah that? He wanted to hear Elijah. He gave him the opportunity to express his feelings and to vent and to talk about it. Rather than just constantly internalizing everything, we've talked about this in emotions of anger and bitterness and all those things, that it becomes depression or we're going to blow up like a pressure cooker one of these days. You know, you've got you to be able to deal with it, talk with it, get it out. Next thing that we see happening, the third is that you've got to get life in perspective. See, Elijah had to get his life in perspective because he thought he was the only faithful person who remain. You might have a feeling that says, I'm the only believer at my school. I'm the only believer at work. I'm the only believer in my house. Some of you might have that saying. You see, but you need to get life in proper perspective. And so he, he says, here I am doing my best to serve the Lord. And what's going on? God's forsaken me. I'm left alone. It's me against the world. See, when you become despondent to the point of being depressed, it just seems like uh, all of those issues can be traced back to a distorted view of life. And what did God do for him? First of all, God revealed himself to Elijah in a fresh and new way. He revealed himself through a wind, a cyclone, ripped through the mountain. But God wasn't in that. Then there came an earthquake that shook the whole mountain, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, he sent fire and lightning, but God was not in that. You see, God then came in that what we've known for all these years as a still, small voice. And the NIV says a gentle whisper. You see, our God is the God of wonders, but he's also the God who whispers. And we have to be still to be able to hear that voice. And Elijah was there in the cave. And he heard that gentle whisper of God's voice. And God was saying to him, just because I haven't done anything miraculously in the last 24 hours or so, you know, like he did on Mount Carmel, I'm still here with you. I'm here with you. See, God might have been silent in some ways, but he wasn't absent. See, remember this, get, get life in perspective. You're not alone. You're not the only one. And God has never left you, deserted you. If you feel that way, read Psalm 139. There's no place you could go that God's not there with you. And then the last thing we see is get back in the flow of life. When you take yourself into a cave and you live in isolation, uh, you, you, you're probably pretty much going to stay in self-pity. You need to get out of that cave. 
You need to get out of that cave and get back into the flow of life. And that's what God sent Elijah out to do. He gave him a new mission. There was a king to anoint. There was a prophet to, to anoint to succeed him. There was other work to be done. God gave Elijah a new vision for his life and for his ministry. He renewed his call. He gave him a new mission. He assured him that others would finish what he started. And he told him that he was not alone in his desire to serve the Lord. So one of the best ways to quit feeling sorry for yourself when life hasn't gone the way you want it to is to get out and get back into the flow of life and do something positive. Don't just sit around in isolation. Don't wrap yourself up in yourself, but get out. Get into the flow of life. That's what God said to Elijah, and that's what he did. And then as we face these moments, here's something I think that we all, that we all think about, deal with, and it's this. When we go through those dark times in life, whether it's about with depression or whether it's just, you know, a time of discouragement and we're seeing the blues and life hadn't gone our way and we feel like we're the only one, you know, we want to get through it quickly. We want it, we want it to go away. We want it to heal quickly. But like Elijah, I think God left him in this for a period of time because there were some things that God needed to say to Elijah, things he needed to teach Elijah. And so the next time you're going through, if you're going through it now even, some times of discouragement and disappointment and, 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 and maybe some despair that's almost like depression, then ask this, ask, ask these things to God. Lord, is there something you want to say to me through this? Lord, is there something you want me to be doing that I haven't been doing? Lord, is there a new direction for my life that you want to communicate to me? Or maybe, Lord, what do you want me to learn about you and about life through this dark night of my soul? Lord, help me to hear your gentle whisper even through the dark clouds. I don't enjoy them. I wish they weren't a part of my life. But help me to hear your general whisper. You see, rather than just saying, I want it fixed, God, ask God, what do you want me to learn from you about this? Now, to be true, God does not want us to live on that level of being discouraged. He doesn't want us to be singing the blues. He doesn't want us to live isolated. He doesn't want us to be run down physically or mentally or spiritually. But during those times, that's the time that God can speak to you. Because the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes God has to get us still in His way so that we can hear Him speak to us. And sometimes it's through times of discouragement. But He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to be renewed. He wants to renew your vision for life and excitement for life. He doesn't want you to be disheartened. He wants to put heart back into your life. He wants you to have a new vision for your ministry and for your life. And so, if you're going through these dark times of discouragement and despondency and despair, then ask God, what do you want me to hear? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to know? And just open your heart to Him. And if you're going through that time right now, then ask those same things of God. And move out of that time of despair and despondency into the life that God wants you to live. Let's pray. Father. Uh, we thank You for Your love, Your power, and Your grace in our life. We thank You, Father, that You are a, a mighty, wonderful God, and that You are the God who works wonders and does creative things. And yet we thank You that You come to us oftentimes in that still, small voice or that gentle whisper. 
And I pray, Father, that in our times of despair and despondency and discouragement that we will be able to hear you speak to us and hear that gentle whisper so that we will know what you're saying to us and how you want us to respond in life. So, Father, I pray that today anyone dealing with those issues today of despair and despondency can can find a sense of renewal uh, through a relationship with you, either confessing Christ as Savior, embracing Him as Savior, finding forgiveness of sins, or coming to you, Lord, and saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to do if they're a believer, but yet who've gone through this time of disappointment? So, Father, I pray that we will have the, the faith to respond to you so that we can claim these things and know these things and live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.